If you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, we are in Jonah chapter 3 this week. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through the entire chapter, verse 10, and then in through uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Okay, so we're going to read from chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3 to verse 4 of chapter 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jonah chapter 3, we have a new beginning to the story. The book of Jonah is divided into two halves. The first two chapters make up the first half, and the second two chapters make up the second half. Each one of these halves, they mirror each other, they parallel each other. So, chapter 1, chapter 1, you see God commissioning Jonah, God giving Jonah a privileged commission, and in chapter 3, you see a parallel to that, in that Jonah is recommissioned. The rest of chapter 1, you see the Gentiles responding positively to Yahweh. And in chapter 3, you see the Gentiles responding positively 
to Yahweh. And then in chapter 2, you see Jonah praying to Yahweh. And you see in chapter 4, Jonah once again having a discussion with Yahweh. Now the second half of Jonah, there is one added section. And it is chapter 4, starting at verse 5 through the end of the chapter. And it is in that section, that added section, where you find the point of Jonah clearly expressed. God gives Jonah an object lesson, and we will cover that next week. We will talk about that object lesson that God gives to Jonah next week. But here in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, we see that the narrative starts again. The story begins again, as it should have gone at the very beginning. Now it begins again, and Jonah is recommissioned. We see here Jonah's merciful recommissioning. Do you notice it there? Do you notice it there? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And what does the word of the Lord say to Jonah? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Was this not what God told Jonah at the very beginning? Was it not exactly what God had told Jonah? Do we not see the exact same wording as in the first chapter? In this we see God's mercy. God is merciful in his recommissioning of Jonah. Aren't we glad for God's recommissioning and second chances? And that's what we see here. Yahweh is determined to carry out his mission. He is determined to carry out his mission to the earth for his glory, his mission of mercy. And he is determined to use those whom he has chosen. The gifts and calling of God are indeed without repentance. Yahweh is determined to carry out his mission and he is determined to use those whom he has chosen. And for this, we should be so thankful I'm thankful that I don't just get one chance. But God is merciful. He knows indeed that we are dust. And he is patient and kind with us. I have spent the last couple of weeks talking about our privileged opportunity, our privileged commission as the people of God. He has chosen us as his people to participate with him in his mission for his glory Upon the earth, he has brought us into this relationship, into this covenant relationship, not not just for our own benefit. Our salvation isn't the end in and of itself. Our salvation is the means to the end that God intends. He wants us to participate with him as he brings his glory to bear upon the earth. This is what the commission in Matthew 28 is about when Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey me 
and what I've said. And this is our mission, to bring his glory to all the nations of the earth. And he's chosen us for this. But yet we are unfaithful. And I've spent the last couple of weeks talking about our commission and the fact that we are all too ready many times to lay that down. We are not ready to uh, participate with him and obey. And as I thought this last week, I thought, you know, it, it very well might be that there are some in the congregation this morning that need to understand God's mercy and his patience towards you. We are indeed commissioned by God to participate with him in this great mission. And yet we are all too ready to not obey often. And it may be this morning that you need a rebuke. It, it, may, it may be that you need to be shaken out of lethargy and complacency. It may, may be that you need a rebuke because you're lazy. It's possible. It also may be that you are rebellious and disobedient. It may be that you are caught in sin. You are not an effective witness for God and what he has called you to be because you are caught up with the pleasures of this world, indulging in the flesh, you're disobedient, you're rebellious. That may be. I think, though, as I consider this particular group of people, I think what is most likely is that we have a group of people here this morning, like myself, who have every good intention in the world to be the witness that God has called us to be. We want to see God's glory go to our neighbors. We want to see God's glory go to our community. We want to see God's glory impact the earth. We want that. And we have every intention for that. But we feel maybe ill-equipped or afraid or we find no opportunity and we feel guilty. Maybe this morning you find yourself feeling the guilt of not being the witness that God has saved you to be. Can I encourage you with God's word this morning that God is a God who recommissions, who gives new opportunities, who does not reject you because you have not been faithful, but is ready to give you mercy and grace and ready to call you to participate with him once again. He is ready to recommission you. And this, this is truly the Christian life. For we feel that guilt, but he does not call us to live under that guilt. He does not want us to live under that guilt. He wants us to look up to him and see his readiness to extend mercy and grace to us. And he, he wants you to participate with him. I see in this wording, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I see much mercy and grace in that. I think of Peter. Do you remember Peter? I find this interesting. This is something, as you study, it's just this cannot be coincidence. Do you remember Peter? Peter, the one who was so ready all the time 
to open his mouth before he thought. Peter, he was the one who spoke up and and professed first. He's the first one to confess that Jesus was the Christ. And do you remember what Jesus said to him in Matthew 16? He said, blessed are you, Peter, Simon Peter. You remember what he calls him? He says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Jonah. Now, many people believe that Peter's father's name was John. That's ancient sources have that. He calls him the son of Jonah. Interesting. It is Peter as well who is the first to deny Christ. When Christ is going to the cross, he is the one confronted by the different people about his relationship with Jesus. And he's the one that says, no, no, I don't know Jesus. He was the first one to confess Christ. But he was also the one to deny Christ orally, publicly, to deny Jesus. And it was Peter, after the resurrection, who, interestingly enough, found himself on a boat out on the sea, and Jesus standing on dry land. And you remember what happened when Peter saw Jesus standing on the dry land? The text says he threw himself into the sea, and he swam his way back to dry land to the feet of Jesus. And there in John 21, Jesus recommissions Peter. He says, it's not over for you, Peter. Peter rejected Jesus said, I I don't know him. I I don't even know who this is. I have no association with him. Could there be mercy for someone such as this? Could could there be mercy for someone who outright rejects and and, and outright denies any association with Jesus? At, At his hour of greatest need, Peter rejected him, denied him. And yet, Jesus extends mercy. He recommissions Peter, and it was Peter who God first called to go to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Remember the vision that God gave Peter in Acts chapter 10, that he was to go to the Gentiles, those who were not Israel. And do you remember where he received that vision? Do you remember where he was at, what city he was in? When he received that vision, he was in Joppa, the same place where Jonah fled from his mission to go to the Gentiles. Peter was commissioned there to go to the Gentiles. God is a God who is merciful. He will accomplish his mission to go to the nations. And he will use those who he has determined to use. And God, to God be the glory, he has chosen us. And he is ready to extend mercy and grace to us. Can I encourage you with that this morning? Do not live under the guilt of your failure. But be ready to receive the mercy of God. And his recommissioning of you even this morning to be about his business. We see the prophet now in chapter three, do what the prophet should. 
Chapter 1, he fled. He had a desperate flight away from the presence of the Lord. But now, verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This is how the prophet should act. The prophet should respond according to the word of the Lord. And if man, here we have, here we have in chapter 3 a theology of repentance. This is what is laid out for us in chapter 3. A theology of repentance. And if man is going to repent, he must hear from God. And God has chosen his man, his prophet, to take his word. We, we read it, and it wasn't up on the screen for you during our liturgy, but I wanted to read it again for you. We read from it in our service. Romans chapter number 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the beginning of repentance. This is the beginning of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is how God reaches people. It's through his word. And as his prophet responds according to the word of the Lord, so should we. And if you say this morning, I am ill-equipped. I, I don't have what it takes. I don't know what to say. God has so graciously given us his word. He has given us everything we need. He has given us all the equipping in his word that we need to speak to people. And truly, truly, this word that he has delivered to us, this is how he saves. He doesn't save others through your ingenuity and creativity. He doesn't save others through your personality. And that is really, that is really encouraging because some of us don't have a great personality. Some of, the, uh, some of us don't know how to relate to others as well. But, but this, this, is, this is the comfort of it. He has given us his word, and it is his word we rely upon, not ourselves. His word saves. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so his prophet is equipped with all that he needs, the word given to him to proclaim. And this message that Jonah is told to deliver is a message of judgment and hope. Look at it there. Yahweh had told him in verse 2, call out against it, the city, Nineveh, the message that I tell you. So verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Sounds like a message of judgment and it is. It is a message of warning and of judgment. And yet, in this message, you find a message of hope. First is the word overthrown. 
The word overthrown has an idea of overthrowing, believe it or not. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, where God went in and turned completely over this city, destroyed it. But it can also carry with it the idea of turning around, of change. It it is a little bit uh, of ambiguity there in the word. Overthrown or it could be turn around to change. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I can tell you which one Jonah was hoping it would be. Jonah wanted them destroyed. And yet you see there God's intention, not just to preach a message of judgment, but to preach a message of hope and potential mercy. We also see that God gives them 40 days. Why would he give them 40 days? If God's intention is to judge them, if God's intention is to just overthrow them, to wipe them out, why would he give them 40 days? Is it not the mercy of God to say 40 days? And we see this also in the New Testament, do we not? Second Peter Chapter 3, listen to these words. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Do you believe that about God? God is not slow in his promises. God, God is not slow in carrying out what he has promised. But he is patient. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want to encourage you with that this morning, that the Lord is patient. His waiting to judge is not an indication of his slowness or his laziness, or his complacency. His time that he gives us is an indication of his patience and of his mercy. The Lord indeed will judge the earth, but he has given time. What do you do with that time? I think we see this in our own lives, don't we? We see that God does not judge us right away. He's not in heaven waiting to hit us over the head when we fail. And we're thankful for that. But how do we treat that time that we are given? Do we think that somehow he has forgotten about our sin? Do you think that somehow he's forgotten that we are deserving of judgment? No. He has not forgotten. He is patient. I would say this to you if you are here this morning and you do not know Christ, you are not covered by the sacrifice of Christ as your only way of salvation. You are, you are still trying to figure out how to be in a right relationship with God, not sure. I would tell you this morning that God has promised judgment for sin. 
And you are under that wrath. You are under that judgment. The fact that God has not brought that wrath, the fact that God has not brought that judgment upon you is not an indication of God forgetting or God being lazy or complacent in his judgment. It is an indication of his patience and his mercy giving you time to repent. And he wants you to repent. That is the message that Jonah brings 40 days until you are overthrown. The Lord will judge Nineveh. But we see that Nineveh is important to God. He wants Nineveh to repent. That is what, that is, what is meant in the phrase in verse 3. That no, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. That is actually literally translated. You could literally translate that. This city was great to God. Important, significant to God. They, they are not unimportant just objects to be punished. God cares for them. And he wants them to repent. Do we see people that way? Do we watch people at the grocery store or at our workplace? Do we see people as people who are under the judgment of God, who will experience the judgment and wrath of God for sin? And yet God is patient towards them and God is willing that they should repent. Do we see people that way? Do we share God's heart in that? I was talking with my brother last night. We were talking about, sorry to make you feel uncomfortable, brother. We were talking about the reality of eternal judgment, eternal punishment. The reality that we are surrounded by people every day who will spend eternity separated from God and will experience the eternal punishment and wrath of Yahweh. I, I don't think that we really grasp that oftentimes. We, we, we block that out or we somehow cope with that reality in our different ways. But we are surrounded by people who will experience the eternal wrath and justice of God for sin. Why has God not come again to set everything right? Because when he does, it will mean the eternal judgment of sinners. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wants your neighbors to reach repentance. He wants your friends to reach repentance. Do your friends know that there is judgment coming, impending judgment? Do your friends know that? The friends that you have, that you eat dinner with, and that you associate with, do they know that judgment is coming, that it's impending? Maybe they do. Maybe they know of the judgment. And that, in fact, that's all they know about God, is that God wants to judge sinners. Do they also know, do your friends also know that God is a merciful God, and that God has waited, that God has delayed, that God has, has reached out to them in mercy? How has he done so? He's put you in their life. So that they can actually access the mercy that God has for them through his word. This is what God is doing. He is waiting so that men will repent. Because that's what he wants. 
we see here the continuing of the theology of repentance. Jonah is mercifully recommissioned. He's been given God's word. He, he has been given all he needs to go into Nineveh, this city that God cares deeply about, wanting to extend his mercy to them. And we see Nineveh's humbling example. Jonah is mercifully recommissioned, and here we see Nineveh's humbling example. What does Nineveh do at this preaching? Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. It's the same language used for Abraham. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Nineveh believed God. They, like the prophet who takes God's word according to the word of the Lord, as a prophet should, these people, Nineveh, responds to the word as you should. They believed God. They had believed the word received from God's prophet. This teaches us that mankind is responsible to respond to the revelation they receive. God has revealed himself. Did you know God has revealed himself? God has revealed himself all over the world, everywhere. This is what scripture tells us. You look up in the sky and you see the sun. This is an indication that there is a God who, who is powerful enough to set the sun in the sky. And we are accountable to him. God has revealed himself everywhere to all men, to all women, to all children. He's revealed himself. And mankind is responsible to respond to the revelation that they have. The more revelation, the more word that someone receives, the more responsible they are. And Nineveh shows us what you are to do. They believe God. Now it's interesting, isn't it? Jonah walks in and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't express who this is from. He doesn't, this, this is what God told him to deliver, right? Jonah walks into the city and he says, Yep, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And what do they do? They believe God. Why did they believe God? Because they knew. They knew who he was. They knew who they were to turn to. I think it is important. They don't call him by name. They don't have the name, the covenant name, Yahweh, that is expressed other places in this book. But they know that there is a God that they are accountable to. And they respond in faith. They are responsible for the revelation that they have. They respond with faith. Look, they also respond with humility. Look at verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. And, and how can you see that they believe God? They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is the, the clothing of mourning made out of goat hair. You put it on. They make sacks out of it. That's why it's called sackcloth. They make sacks out of it, but people would wear it when, when they were mourning. It was very itchy, very, very much of an irritant. But they would put it on as clothing to signify that they were in mourning. And so the people call for a fast. And they put on sackcloth. 
And then this phrase, from the greatest of them to the least of them. All men are equal under the preached word of God. All men are equal at the feet of God's word. When we hear God's word, we are brought, all of us, to the same status. Did you know God is not a God of partiality? He is not a God of partiality. He he doesn't give some people more credit because of their social standing. God's word brings every man to the same place. We are all equal at his feet under his word. What What a comfort that is. God's word humbles all of us. It's the great equalizer. And every one of them, from the greatest of them to the least of them, called for a fast and put on sackcloth. This was a corporate repentance, a repentance of the entire city. We see that the word, verse 6, reached the king of Nineveh. And, and what is the king going to do? What would a king typically do? What, a, what would a king typically do? When, when a prophet comes into a city and the prophet declares the word of the Lord and the people begin responding and they all come under the authority of God's word. What does that mean? That means they are no longer recognizing the king's authority. They are recognizing a higher authority. What would the king do? The king would respond by having the prophet drug in front of him. Stoned, beaten, killed. In fact, that is how the prophets of Israel responded. When the prophet would come in and preach the word of God, the kings of Israel would respond by having that prophet killed. This is an indictment against the, prof- or against the kings of Israel. Because this king, he responds as a king should. The word reaches the king, and what does he do? Look at, look at the phrases here. And he, the king, arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He took off his kingly garments. He covered himself with sackcloth. So he himself, the king, puts on sackcloth. And sat in ashes. He exchanged his throne for ashes. And his robe, he turned to mourning. The king does what a king should. And this is what repentance looks like. A complete humbling. The king does as he should. Submits himself to the preached word of God. And then the king makes a decree that he publishes throughout all of Nineveh by the decree of the king, verse 7, and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them, look at this, let them call out mightily to God. This, this parallels the sailors in chapter 1 who call out mightily. 
Let them call out mightily to God. And then look at what he says. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This is what repentance looks like. It is receiving God's word, believing God's word by faith, and then turning from your evil way. How? Through humility. As the king sets aside his robe and puts on sackcloth and mourning as he trades his throne for ashes, he calls out to every man saying, let them cry out to God and turn from their evil way. Let them turn from the violence that is in their hands. See, this is what repentance looks like. Did you, did you know repentance is not saying you're sorry? That's not repentance. Repentance isn't saying, I messed up. I'm sorry. No, repentance requires real action. It requires real humility. It requires a man or a woman to acknowledge that they have sinned, that they have sinned against God, that they have sinned against their creator, that they have done wrong and that they will turn from that wrong, taking real practical steps to turn from that wrong. That's what it is. How do you know when someone's truly repented? How often I have sat with people who have cried tears. You know, tears, tears are easy to come by. People that have cried tears and said they're sorry. How do you know if someone's repentant? The king tells you. They humble themselves. And they turn from their evil. And they let go of the violence that is in their hands. They take real practical steps to turn from their sin. And this often can only be demonstrated over time. The people of Nineveh were serious to demonstrate, this is important, they were serious, they were urgent to demonstrate that they were truly repentant. They, they, they proclaimed a fast they put on sackcloth. This is given to us in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians rather, 7. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 7. I want you to listen to how Paul the Apostle describes repentance. This is a, an important cross-reference for us. Listen to this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly grief, that is grief about sin towards God. Not just saying you're sorry, but realizing you have sinned against God. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now listen to this description Paul gives about godly grief that produces repentance. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. 
what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. 2 Corinthians 7, if you want to know what repentance looks like, Paul the Apostle gives you a very clear picture in 2 Corinthians 7 of what repentance looks like. And this is exactly what Nineveh demonstrated. They humbled themselves, demonstrating that through a fast and sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Even the king, he led by example. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he sent out a proclamation that man and beast, flock and herd should not taste anything. Don't let them drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God, turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And then he says, who knows? Do you remember the captain in chapter one? He says, perhaps. Arise, call out to your God. Maybe your God, Jonah, is the one who can save us. Perhaps, perhaps he can save us. This is what the king says. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Maybe God will not judge us. Turn. Maybe we won't perish. And then verse 10, we see Yahweh's merciful relent at the repentance of the people of Nineveh. We see when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. God responded to the repentance of Nineveh. This is a wonderful biblical truth. Did you, did you know God is not required to respond? He's not required but God has told us in his word that if we will repent, again, repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. Repentance, true repentance, is acknowledging your sin before God and turning from that sin, taking real practical steps to remove yourself from that sin, to demonstrate that you indeed are urgent and earnest in your desire to free yourself from that sin. That's repentance. And in that repentance, God is not required to act, but God has told us that he will. If we repent, he will forgive. He is ready to forgive. He wants to forgive. I want you to hear, this is Jeremiah 18. In fact, Jonah, Jonah is struggling with Jeremiah 18. Uh, he he, he uh, is struggling with the theology of Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18 is a wonderful passage. I want you to listen to it. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I, Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel 
as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, that is Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Listen to this, verse 7. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, says, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is Israel says, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. That was Judah's response. We will, every one of us, act according to the stubbornness of our evil heart. So in this way, Nineveh serves as a humbling example for Israel. And not just for Israel, but also for us. Matthew 12 and Luke 11 we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. You remember Matthew 12 and Luke 11. Jesus says to them that in the day of judgment, Nineveh will arise to condemn them. You remember why? Because he says, Nineveh responded when Jonah went into the city. Nineveh responded. But there is one greater than Jonah here. The people of Israel in that day did not respond to the Son of God, Jesus himself, who had brought God's word of salvation to them. They refused to respond. Instead, like Jeremiah 18 says, they said, we will respond in the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. We will not bow to you. And God says, Nineveh will stand in judgment of you. Because Jonah went in and preached a very simple message. Yet 40 days and your city will be overthrown. And they believed God, every one of them, from the greatest to the least of them. They put on sackcloth. They fasted. They mourned. They turned from their evil way. They had, they had laid down the violence that was in their hands. Saying, who knows? Maybe God will relent and turn from the fierce anger that he's intended for us. That we should not perish. And in fact, God did just that. He relented. Of his judgment. And they were spared. Through repentance. Humble repentance. God proclaims judgment. But God stands ready. And willing to respond. To pleas of humble repentance. What is Jonah's response to this? We won't get into it until next week. But I want you to see. How does Jonah respond? He is displeased exceedingly, and he was angry. Angry at the mercy of God, angry 
at Yahweh's revealed character of mercy and grace. How does someone get to that point? We will investigate and look at that next week. We saw today the humbling of a king, a king who could have held on to his station, but instead chose to humble himself. And by his example, led a people in humility. Hear these words from Philippians 2 concerning an even greater king. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ meaning king, King Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, And found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How has the Father accomplished his mission to bring his glory to the earth? He has sent his Son, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who is equal with God, God himself. But he left his throne And put upon himself flesh. And being found in fashion as a man in the form of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the death of the cross. He, even greater than the king of Nineveh, he has demonstrated what humility looks like. And why? So that he could win salvation for mankind, for us. You say, I don't have anything to say to my neighbor. You could tell them about Philippians 2. You could say, here, look at what I've found about Jesus, this Jesus who I worship. I've told you I worship Jesus. You might have to tell them that you worship Jesus if you're going to open up the Bible with them. You can sit down and show this is, this is who Jesus is. You think, you think Jesus and God is just about judgment and condemnation. It is true we have impending judgment, but I want to show you who Jesus is. He humbled himself. How can we remain in our pride? How can we remain hesi- you know, resistant and hesitant to receive his grace? How can we reject him when we see who he is and what he's done? And I believe God's word will save and take the scales off the eyes of mankind if we would be faithful to carry his word. What a great king we serve. And what an example he is of humility in his death and in his sacrifice. He shows us how to live. 
If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, I want you to understand the judgment that is coming, and I want you to understand also the mercy that he has extended to you for this time. We do not know how long you have. You do not know how long you have. And I want to plead with you, do not wait. Do not take his patience for granted. He wants you to repent. He wants you to be saved. Would you be saved today? And Christian, today could be your recommissioning. Don't live under the guilt of not being the witness that he has saved you and called you to be. Receive his mercy and grace. Be a speaker of God's word this week as we have opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this word that we have received in Jonah chapter 3. We are thankful for how you feed us and how you supply us and how you minister to us. We are so thankful for your mercy that you have extended to us. We also need the rebuke here of what real repentance looks like. We excuse our sin. We make light of it. We treat it flippantly. Or we allow it to put a stranglehold on our lives. But you show us here what real repentance looks like. Lord, we need your word. I pray that you would all of us, that you would give us a thirst and a desire for your word, that we would not run from it, but we would long to hear it. And as we hear it, we would let it do its work in our lives, that we would turn from our evil way, our stubbornness, our pride, and that we would humble ourselves, that we would mourn over our sin, that we would take practical steps away from the sin that holds us and that we would receive your mercy and grace that we know you've promised if we would but repent. I pray for those who do not know you, Lord, I pray that you would work your work of salvation in them, that they would see that you are a merciful God, gracious, long-suffering, and that they would be saved even today through the death and resurrection of your Son, Son that himself is God and humbled himself for us took upon himself the form of a servant being found in fashion as a man became obedient to the point of the cross the point of death overwhelm us with that reality we pray create faith in us I pray this morning in your name Amen